really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby. I am your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it, all over the globe. A special welcome today for this, our 78th weekly episode, which makes it officially a year and a half of reliable weekly coverage, a fact of which I am quite proud. Uh, if you'd like to get in touch, you know what? I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. You know, I was just dropping an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So it was back to the two-headed European and so-called non-European cups this weekend. So let's dive right in. So starting with our current updates, well, it's that time of year here in New England when any snow that falls just simply isn't going to go away until probably mid to late March, uh, you know, just because it never gets above freezing. Uh, it's only really snowed once of any significance thus far, but that layer, you know, is still completely covering my neighbor's lawn. You know, it just remains in a shadow kind of almost all the time these days. So it's just a <laughs> frozen shell. Uh, don't forget, it's an almost annual tradition to get a final blizzard here in early April. A fact that still blows away my relatives in Texas. At least three or four times over the last few years, I've sent them a pic of a massive snowstorm somewhere in the first week of April, which always elicits the return pic of their weather apps showing the sunny and 70 to 75 degree weather they're currently enjoying. Um, as you may or may not know, the last few seasons, my Free Jacks have delayed their home opener until week four or five, just to try to avoid asking people to show up to an ice-covered arena with snow-filled seats. But this year, our first home game is two weeks earlier. So, you know, gods only know what it would be like. On a typical mid-March day, it's theoretically possible that it could be mild, uh, you know, but it's at least as likely to bring, you know, four to six inches of snow and devastating winds. Uh, fortunately, I do have an advantage over the players. I can wear snow pants to Fort Quincy. Uh, while for them, you know, as, far as, as far as I can tell, it's strongly discouraged. Um, they could have used them last year. <laughs> That's for sure. So anyway, wish us all luck. It's too good. It's too good. People have to know. Well, no, Isa, it's not great news for Gloucester or Wales fans, as it's been announced that Lewis Rees-Zammett will continue to be out with an injury. Quoting here from a website I assume is called geocities.com slash rugby pass. Um, Gloucester wing Lewis Rees-Zammett in appears increasingly unlikely to be fit for Wales opening Guinness Six Nations games against Ireland and Scotland. The Gallagher Premiership youngster <laughs> suffered an ankle injury during his team's defeat at Leicester on Christmas Eve. While he's continuing to progress on the uh, on the rehabilitation front, Ireland's visit to Cardiff on February 4th looks too soon. He's doing all right, said Gloucester head coach George Skivington. They will be available uh, mid-Six Nations. That is a rough guide and not set in stone, though. <laughs> Reece Samet has missed Gloucester's last two premiership fixtures, and he will now sit out Heineken Cup, uh, Heineken Champions Cup appointments with Leinster and Bordeaux Begla. The back, who has won 22 caps, would be a major attacking weapon for Wales coach uh, Warren Gatlin. In, uh, in charge of the Welsh for the second time, Gatlin is due to name his Six Nations squad next week. That's, of course, this week, as you're listening to this. Um, while the back three positions are not an area of weakness, given players like Liam Williams, Lee Halfpenny, Josh Adams, Rio Dyer, and Alex Cuthbert are available, Rees-Zemmett offers an additional try-scoring dimension for Wales. After the Ireland match, Wales tackle, Scot uh, tackle Scotland at Murrayfield seven days later, before hosting England on February 25th. So, 
I mean, as you all know, I'm a big fan of the youngster, as they called him. So, uh, you know, here's definitely wishing him a speedy and thorough recovery. I can't wait to see him back out there. Get well soon, my friend. That, of course, brings us to our thoughts of the week. And my thoughts this week somehow ended up on the Japan League One competition, which sadly has not been carried at all by the Rugby Network this year. So I found a, a great piece about some of the incredible coaches who will be pitting their acumen against one another this very weekend. I guess this past weekend now as I'm recording this. And uh, I have it linked in the show notes, of course, as always. It read in part, quote, four of the, uh, the modern game's greatest coaches will match wills this weekend as Japan Rugby League One brings together Eddie Jones, Wayne Smith, Steve Hansen, and Robbie Deans. Jones and Smith are advisors at Tokyo uh, Suntory, uh, Sungoliath, and Kobelco Kobe Steelers, uh, Steelers, respectively. And the pair are on opposite sides on Saturday as their teams square off in Kobe for what pro- promises to be one of the games of the round. Sharing fourth place on the ladder, both have recovered from first-round losses and will be looking to maintain the momentum against a potential semifinal rival. The Jones versus Smith trilogy ba- uh, dates back to their time coaching the Wallabies and All Blacks in 2001, with the pair having crossed paths, uh, paths wearing a number of different hats in the time since. A similar dynamic is at play on Sunday, when Deans takes on his one-time Super Rugby assistant Hansen in a match that is shaping up as an important one in the season for Toyota Verblitz for, uh, for after two losses from the first three matches. After coaching together at the Crusaders, the pair went their separate ways with five-time Super Rugby title winner Deans later coaching against Hansen while in charge of the Wallabies before the rivalry resumed in Japan. Rugby World Cup winning coach in 2015, Hansen held the upper hand against Deans while coaching the All Blacks, but is still to find the keys to success in Japan, where his longtime rival has won five titles with the Saitama Panasonic Wild Knights. Uh, after last weekend's thumping at Saitama, the Mitsubishi Heavy Industries Sagamahira uh, Saga Dynabores, I love that name, the Dynabores, will be hoping to reassert themselves as they travel to Chichibu to face uh, Toshiba Brave Lupus, to, uh, Brave Lupus Tokyo. As well as the potential damage to confidence, Sagamahira's first loss of the campaign also had ramifications on the points table, dropping it from first to sixth. The Dynabores are level with three other sides on points, but behind each other uh, on points difference due to the 35-point margin of their defeat at Kumagaya. One of the beneficiaries of the outcome was Brave Lupus, whose second win of the season against the Blue Revs has ensured it keeps pace with the competition frontrunners. Last year's semifinalists have benefited from the vintage form of Brave Blossom's legend Michael Leach, while the firebrand second rower Warner Derns is also making a mark after his breakthrough international season with Japan. Todd Black at her side showed during its narrow loss to the Wild Knights in the opening weekend that it is now well and truly in the mix against the threats to Saitama's ambition for a three-beat of titles, with Brave Lupus about to enter a difficult five-game stretch that includes Verblitz, Sun Goliath, the Eagles, and the Spears. Beating the Dinobores is non-negotiable as far as the season's overall aspirations are concerned unquote so if any of you know any way please don't say youtube you know to catch any of this action please get in touch i would love to know about this i only saw bits and bobs last year and this year you know i guess i miss it so of course that brings us to our reviews and of course we're talking about the heineken cup in particular round three was this weekend i'm enjoying it by the way i'm not sure what y'all think but uh curious to find out in fact so uh, anyway on friday the 13th we started off with claremont hosting lester with claremont hoping to avoid a sweep by the tigers right off the bat austin healy bemoaned the empty seats in the stadium there was definitely a weird vibe for this one uh, claremont they looked listless and while they found a spark here or there they just couldn't things you know get things consistently rolling the fans who did come started to let them know about it quite a bit um side note 
nasty head-on-head collision at one point. They just gave the Claremont number eight a card and just said, okay, see you later. No HIA. Then they taped up Ben Young's head to stop the bleeding. Also, no HIA. What the F? Like, both those dudes should have been off the field. Seriously. So, as my people say, irregardless, Claremont, they trailed 14-27 to at home at the break. Only vague murmuring, you know, emanating from the listless crowd. Into the second, things got a bit spicier with 60 points scored between the two sides after 50 minutes. A nice moment when Jonot, the, the, uh, the scrum half, came off after giving it his all, having turned 19 in November by all the gods and really putting on a show. Claremont, they looked for points as we went past 10 minutes remaining, but it was all for naught. The sparse remaining crowd howling with derision for the whole affair as the Tigers made a statement 29 to 44 to secure a spot in the round of 16. So on Saturday, it was Gloucester at home for Leinster. Gloucester were making no bones about fielding a full side this time, though I honestly doubted it would, you know, impact the scoreline very significantly. Um, Gloucester, they, they showed up in the guise of Stade Francais for some reason with their kit, but Leinster were not fooled, thrashing their hosts and remaining unbeaten in all competitions. It was 14 to 49. That makes 106 points they've dropped on Gloucester in this tournament. Just an absolute smash fest. So Sale versus Toulouse was next, with the Printerland Sharks seeking revenge for the drubbing they took in the last meeting, the match that got Thomas Ramos uh, his absurd non-ban ban. Uh, it took only six seconds for Sale's props to smash each other's heads, uh, maybe in homage, I guess. Um, Nick Schonert appearing to be out cold, Samuel McIntyre also bleeding profusely. The upside was they actually both uh, they had both players actually leave the field rather than just sort of throwing some tape on it. In any event... Uh, it was the man they call the Angry Warthog who scored first, and that nickname just makes me assume he's like the nicest dude ever. Uh, to make things more difficult for them, Kobus Wisa, uh, Wisa got, got red carded to the booze of the faithful on hand, but Sharks' defense kicked into a whole new level, repelling the Toulouse attack time and time again, leaving the score just 5-3 to three at the half. Woof. Uh, Jaminet would kick the visitors to their first lead as the comms wondered aloud whether the Sale defense could keep up its intensity through all 80 minutes. Toulouse are a very, you know, by any means necessary type of team. They seemed perfectly content to go for the six every time they could. They led 5-12 to 12 at around 55 minutes, and then as predicted, the wheels came off late on with the visitors busting through and getting two tries in quick uh, succession. They were up 22 points with under 10 minutes to play. I'm not sure what you're supposed to do against an average ruck speed of one second, lamented the comms of sales fate. And in the end, it was a thumping 5-27. to 27. Next, the other Sharks were back at home to face my Border, uh, my border Beagles. Uh, I was worried, having already dropped both European matches while really starting to click in their own comp, that they'd, you know, basically mail this one in. Um, they very well might have opted to send a B squad. Well, if you recall, Sharks left behind all their big guns last week for the purpose of smashing their guests this week. So I feared this match was going to turn into, you know, like a sandblaster versus a saltine. Uh, interesting pre-match tidbit. Bordeaux have scored just three tries in the Heineken Cup so far, and all three have been scored by forwards. Huh. So in this one, Sharks slowly but surely began to dominate. Bordeaux Begler were sporting the suddenly popular double yellow card look as they stared up at a 22-point shutout before even heading to the break. Not a good showing thus far. Uh, my guys seemed to turn a corner in the top 14, but I suspect they decided that's, you know, where their toast is buttered, and they just did nothing throughout this entire contest. Uh, three points was all they could muster, and that seemingly against their better judgment. Uh, Sharks absolutely dominating from top to bottom, 32-3. to three. Ugh. 
Oh, uh, very American quick side note here, or so I imagine it is. Um, as the comms were discussing a dummy thrown by one of the sharks, one of them said, well, we called that a balk when I was growing up. And the other said, I wonder where that came from. And the answer is obviously baseball, right? Like makes a weird kind of sense, though I definitely will need to go down a, you know, a bit of a rabbit hole to get to the bottom of that one. So then we had Munster versus the Northampton Saints. And ahead of time, Saints lock Alex Coles said of Thoman Park, quote, it's not a daunting test. I would say it's really exciting. It's one of the best places to go and play rugby in Europe, from what I've been told, unquote. <laughs> uh, Saints were desperate for a win at this stage, and with Munster scoring all their tries over the last two rounds in the first halves, maybe they would just need to weather that first 40, then see what they could do. Uh, it was so funny. In the lead-up, the comms said how while it had turned, uh, how it had, in fact, turned into a nice, clear January day, when Saints had come out on the pitch like 45 minutes before game time, they huddled up and then presto, as if Munster controlled the weather itself, the heavens just opened up and dumped rain on them until they went back to the changing room. So good. Um, so a penalty under a minute in gave the home side their first shot at points, even, even the wind dying down as if by their bidding. Uh, despite a red card against them, Munster led 24 to nil after half hour and Northampton looked rudderless. Um, there's a joke in there about the, the Saints fans losing their faith, but I'm just going to leave it sitting on the table. Um, to be fair, the visitors nabbed 17 unanswered in the second half. And with the inevitable fatigue of playing with 14 men grew, could Northampton steal a shocker? Munster finally got a penalty to keep their lead at seven as the clock wound down and a massive turnover diffused a very promising looking drive by Northampton. and. Um, then there was just a wee bit of lunacy with Northampton taking three points with only a minute left. The comms tried to explain it away, but it was a bizarre choice, to say the least. Um, technically, they did still have one last shot. Gavin Coombs then basically said, nope, this is my ball and you can't have it. And that was that. Munster winning 27 to 23 in kind of a weird one. So Bulls versus Exeter was next. And when they're not at home, you know, it can actually be enjoyable to watch the Chiefs play. Like at this point, on one hand, they have very good players, so you can expect some pretty rugby at times. On the other, you know, I've become, I've sort of started actively rooting against them. So seeing the prospects of them going all the way down to Pretoria to get smashed really had me excited. Bulls, of course, had the highest percentage of rucks won in the tournament at almost 98%. And by the way, anyone else think Josh Hodge looks kind of like he could be Liam Williams' son? Uh, anyway, they mentioned his playing for England under-20s, but it looks like he still qualifies for the under-12 squad. Um, Hoggy didn't make this trip. I understand he's nursing multiple ailments back at home. David Creel capped off a freaking gorgeous sequence to make it 15-7 to after 25 minutes. Kind of looked like the hosts were going to run away with it. Uh, to their credit, Chiefs fought right until the very last whistle, getting themselves a bonus point try at the death in a high-scoring affair, 39-28. to La Rochelle versus Ulster. Ooh. This one was next. As, we, as we've discussed here, there's a very real and growing sense of panic in Belfast over how this team has been slipping. And I was surprised at the number of changes to the squad this week. I don't know if the message is you guys can't get it done, so we're going with different guys, or if it's screw it, we can't get anything out of Europe at this stage, so let's just rest a bunch of our starters. I really don't know. Um, I know Balakun is injured, but other starters from last week who weren't named this time, the likes of John Cooney, Billy Burns, Stuart McCloskey, all of them missed out. Would they be able to turn things around? So while playing in a hurricane didn't exactly help either team, uh, and the cameras as well, by the way, the, the players and the cameras both seemed ill-equipped to deal with the conditions. Um, Ulster would get three points with about a quarter of hour to, uh, an hour to go. Those were the only points in the game until the very, very end. And it was seven to three. 
to continue the Ulster tailspin. Wow, what a shocker that one was. Not good times in Ulster. Uh, Saracens versus Lyon. This one looked like a tall order, you know, from the up and down French side. While the Saracens' Ben Earl said in the lead up, we're fighting on two fronts. This is what we love doing. We've got amazing memories of both competitions as a club, and we'll go for silverware in both. <laughs> uh, Saracens. They came out, you know, a bit flat, but between minutes 10 and minutes 21, they had dropped 21 straight points. Alex Good, he looked to have recovered from his epic four-day bender several seasons ago. <laughs> Damn, that dude is so good. And for once, no pun intended, in fact. Um, Saracens were trying to keep their point-a-minute rate going up 38-7 to heading towards halftime, but Leon, they would score the next 21 points in a row. Sometimes... However, you can just tell when it's, uh, you know, I guess a Tevistan teapot, that should be Leon's slogan this year. Going down somewhat predictably at the Stone X, 48 to 28 was the final score in a match that was surprisingly emotional, I guess I could say, for Leon. Not sure what's up with that club right now. It's a little odd. So our final fixture on Saturday was Ospreys versus Montpellier with both teams, you know, sort of middling chances of advancing, sitting on five points apiece. I don't know why, but I found myself getting pretty excited for this one. Zach Mercer, of course, has been a beast this tournament. Unsurprisingly, I suppose, you know, heading into this match, he's made more carries than anyone else, crossed the gain line more than anyone else, and tied for the most meters in contact. The dude is everywhere. Ospreys, they surely went full noise for this one. But most importantly, friend of the of the pod, Philip Atudiot, was on comms. So to me, this was, game was going to be a winner no matter what. So just as I was thinking to myself, Montpellier's kit, it looks kind of like they like left it on a windowsill in the sun for, I don't know, seven or eight months. Just then, the non-Philippa comps said, well, Montpellier are here with their peach, shall we say peach unis? And, you know, I guess that's why I consistently show up week in and week out, people. Anyway, Ospreys, they got themselves a, a nice bonus point win, 35 to 29 in another high-scoring affair. Finally. On Sunday the 15th, we had London Irish versus Stormers, with Stormers back at home looking to avenge their stunning loss to Glasgow just last week. Though the Exiles have definitely found you know a bit of form lately, but they found themselves down to 13 players thanks to a yellow and a red, but they managed to keep the Stormers at bay for the time being. But, and you may have already heard about this, things got out of hand after that, with the hosts getting a second red card early in the second half, already getting shut out at home at the time. To their credit, they did score a try at one point. The Stormers didn't exactly blow their doors off, even with their considerable advantage. Uh, at the end, it was actually a, a fairly reasonable-looking 14-28. to 28. Despite the win, Stormers, to me, they don't look like the you know where they should be right now. They're just, they're just not fully clicking. I guess we'll have to see. Then it was on to cast hosting Edinburgh, and the home team hadn't won a game in either competition since early December, and that was against Poe, a team even lower on the table in the top 14. Cast have only won 95% of their lineouts thus far in Europe, tying them for worst, and they've made the fewest dominant tackles, though, frankly, I'm still unconvinced how meaningful a stat that really is. In any event, this one got really exciting. The, the teams nodded at 21 after 50 minutes, both showing signs they could break through at any moment. Kinghorn almost had a breakaway try off an intercept, but stumbled, and this game seemed to grow increasingly chaotic. Edinburgh's beauty of a try right around the 60-minute mark seemed to open the doors for them, and their pace picked up considerably. Edinburgh looked to gain in confidence and put this one to bed, 21-34, to a very nice result for them and my friend Craig. Uh, finally, two teams that have been off their strides is a nice way to put it recently. It was Rassing 92 versus Harlequins to finish out round three in the Champions Cup. 
Holy crap, was I psyched for this one. And Rassing showed up in their all-whites, oh, a kit of which I am a huge fan. Uh, both squads looked to be full noise. Rassing came to play big time. They exploded offensively for the first time in what feels like, I don't know, quite a while. Uh, they were rolling at 21-3 to early in the second half. Quinns weren't quitting, however, and with a sweet, sweet, flat, oh-so-flat pass by Marcus Smith. And he'd ace the conversion as well to make it 21-17. to This one was a firecracker. I had to put the notepad down then. And, you know, glad I was that I stopped trying to keep track of this one because it went bonkers. Rassing just spitting out yellow cards like they were going out of style. They had two at a time more than once and towed the line of having three at once. But what a mad, 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 mad match. This one had to be the mad match of the week. Holy cow, 30 to 29 was the final. And what a way to end the round. Phew, I am exhausted. And meanwhile, over in the Challenge Cup on Friday, it was Scarlets versus Cheetahs. Scarlets have been on fire in the Challenge Cup thus far. They'd obviously won both matches and had run in 11 tries in doing so, leading the competition and topping their pool. Quick side stat. Sam Costello was 100% off the tee in round two, landing six conversions and one penalty. What's unclear is, what are the Cheetahs doing during these down weeks? Like... They don't have a domestic competition to return to. Are they Are they resting? Are they touring Europe? Are they partying their asses off? You know, maybe all three? Well, as it turned out, it just seemed surreal. A gigantic stadium with four score and seven people in the stands and just no commentary at all in the broadcast. On the other hand, it meant we had Holly Davidson's mic to listen to all evening, which felt very informative. It was a nice little masterclass. Uh, by the way, whose dog did she run over to get stuck with this fixture anyway? Anyway, at 42-24, a lovely time to score. A perfect line-out led to a perfect driving ball try for the Cheetahs. We were knotted at 10 in a match that threatened to entertain us all. After that, Cheetahs seemed to sort of find momentum, but, and if you're a regular listener, you'll know this, I'm certainly no expert, but Cheetahs, they kept kicking it away as if they thought they were going to get a territorial advantage failing to notice that every single player back there for Scarlet was never muffing one on this day. Seemed like there was a tactic they probably should have tossed out at halftime. As I say, it actually got really intense. Scarlet's led only by three in the waning moments, but they would indeed hold on 20 to 17. And this Cheetah's team is fun. So we also had Poe versus the Dragons, a game I frankly didn't expect a lot from. Uh, coming into this one, Dragons had made the most meters from both kick returns and restart returns in this tournament, which surprised me a bit, I guess. As things got underway, there was a lot of smiling French faces on the sideline, which I found kind of unnerving, frankly. Did they know something I didn't know? I mean, well, almost certainly. Either way, Dragons showed a ton of heart and gritted out a deserving win, defeating their fluorescent lime green foes, 15 to 21 Poe getting a penalty goal right at the death to salvage a losing bonus point. Saturday featured Stade Francais versus the Lions, an intriguing matchup to be sure. Stade had fumble fingers in the first two rounds, making a competition leading 21 errors in their carries, while the Lions were boasting the best strike rate in the tournament, scoring tries on 57% of their entries into the opposition 22. That's remarkable. Uh, this one was, you know, no joy to watch particularly, but 
thanks to some bad luck and ill discipline on the part of the visitors, leading to two concurrent yellow cards. Again, what a theme. Stad, they finally took a lead right on the cusp of the final quarter. Lions seemingly had nothing left in the tank and failed to score a point in the second half, eventually going down 17-7 to in kind of a lackluster performance in Paris. Benetton versus Bayonne was up next with the home team looking to continue their impressive home record, having conceded just 15 penalties over the first two rounds to lead this competition. They again looked strong in Treviso while Bayonne looked like they couldn't care less, frankly, scoring one one try, you know, almost by accident, and then promptly just going back to sleep. It was another victory for surprising Benetton, grabbing a bonus point in the closing moments, 26 to 7 at the end. Then we had Bath versus Toulon, and perpetually struggling Bath came in as the only team in the tournament who haven't stolen a single lineout from their opponents, and that might have been the least of their worries. Uh, sadly, this match got the blow rugby treatment. Uh, the replay was listed as being 31 minutes, but didn't work when you clicked on it. Anyway, um, to be fair, just prior to recording this, I compulsively checked again. They appeared to have fixed it, but I had obviously already checked the score by that point. Turns out it looked like it was a good one. Bath stabbing themselves in the back with a botched lineout right at the death to hand Toulon the win, 23-33, to when all was said and done. Connacht at home for Breved looked like a good chance to make it three wins in a row for my guys. So the, the guests arrive uh, having conceded the most penalties overall as well as the most yellow cards. So they've largely, you know, been doing the other team's work for them so far. Uh, Jack Carty looked to shed the recent criticism by having a smashing game. His beauty to John Porch in traffic was, you know, NFL level good. And that was before Mac Hansen sliced the defense to set up their second try before 10 minutes had gone by. A bonus point was already in the books for Connick before halftime. And after leading 33-5 to at the break, Breve clearly just threw in the towel. Connor Fitzgerald got yet another try for my guys. It was a whopping 61-5 to victory. Got to be the most points I've ever seen Connick score. Please remind me to look that up. But either way, holy cow. Unfortunately, that of course meant it was time for the Battle of the Bottoms. The Bottom Bowl? Uh, Bottom Battle? I think Bottom Bowl takes it. That's right. It was the people of Parma versus the hibernating bears. Zebre versus Bristol. I swear, I was this close to looking up some pregame info before I realized that would qualify me for the nut house. I mean, the nut, the nut home, I guess. Um, Zebre, they actually did grab a one-point lead heading into the final quarter, but would the Bears be the first team to lose to them in any competition? No, the answer was no. Bristol scored three tries in quick succession, plus a nice little penalty. The door on this opportunity was slammed shut. It was 11-34. to 34. The last Saturday game was Perpignan hosting the Enfuego Glasgow Warriors. The Warriors arrived having made 41 meters from malls inside the opposition 22, more than any other team, and scoring two mall tries for their efforts. Today, they came out on a mission more than doubling up their hosts before the halftime buzzer, though it was a blow to see Domingo Miotti uh, going off early in a great deal of pain. Uh, Macbeth was impressive for the Warriors, or as I call him, the Scottish player, helping build a 12-28 to 28 edge at the break. This this quick style Glasgow have found lately, it's, it's really working for them, just continuing to hammer away despite their hosts gathering some small momentum, despite some poor discipline on their part. Uh, but Perpignan, you know, they made a physical right to the very bitter end, but they they just they couldn't overcome the streaking. Glasgow Warriors 26 to 40, all told. Another 66-point match. So many points this round. 
Sunday's only offering was Cardiff versus Newcastle. Note to the listener, Cardiff had scored 88 points over the first two rounds, and Newcastle, well, they're Newcastle. Uh, to be fair, I was singing their praises right here just last week. They do have the Prem's leading try scorer, so... You know, this one might be good, he wrote down in his notebook with optimism. No, no. As it turned out, well, you know, Cardiff spanked them right up and down, 42 to 10. Ugh. Random side note, in, in this one, once the clock hit 80 minutes, by the way, it just stopped. It usually keeps ticking away. I was kind of curious about that. Anyway, that, my friends, tied a nice, tiny little bow on the third round in the EPCR what do you all think? Are, are you excited yet? Or at least, you know, slightly less angry with the whole thing? Drop me a line. I'm always keen to hear what you think. I'd really love to hear some chat. Well, by the music, you'll know it's time. For this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award, and this week the award goes to Bismarck Duplessis. Mr. Duplessis, your tireless work at the age of 38, yes, 38 by all the gods, was the beating heart of your bowl weekend, never exemplified better than when you jackaled in for a turnover, then were up again so quickly that the next pass went to you. Whereupon you carried into a double team and still made three or four yards to bail out your boys twice in about 30 seconds. Just mind-boggling stuff. You are a living legend. We're all very lucky that you still, up, you still lace up those boots every week. Congratulations to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck. Well done, sir. Okay, my friends, that brings us to our updates and previews. Next weekend will be round four of these two competitions and will offer yet another gigantic slate of fixtures in the Champions Cup. It's Leicester versus Ospreys and uh, Lyon versus the Bulls on Friday. It'll be Quinns versus Sharks, Northampton versus La Rochelle, Bordeaux Begla versus Gloucester, Leinster versus Racing, Stormers versus Claremont, Exeter versus Cast, and Ulster versus Sale on Saturday followed by Montpellier versus London Irish, Toulouse versus Munster, ooh, nice, and Edinburgh versus Saracens. Those will be on my birthday. Uh, in the Challenge Cup, it'll be Breve versus Perpignan. It'll be Toulon versus Zebre, Glasgow versus Bath on Friday, uh, Bayonne versus Scarlet, Benetton versus Stade Francais, Newcastle versus Connacht, and Breve versus Cardiff on Saturday, closing out the weekend with two birthday battles, Dragons versus Lions, and again, Ending the weekend with a whimper rather than a bang, it'll be Cheetahs versus Poe. Phew! Well, my friends, that does it for another week. Week 78 it was, and a year and a half it's been. I, for one, am looking forward to round four in the EPCR. Yes, there are a few teams that will know they're out, so there will be undoubtedly some sort of throwaway games, but the others will be all the more intense. We're going to get some fantastic matchups. After that, we only have that weird week of regular, you know, sort of league action for Six Nations. And by the way, if you missed it, we've already done our Six Nations preview with Friends of the Pod, John and Craig from the Scottish Rugby Podcast. Granted, it is incredibly slanted 
but it's also a ton of fun. So check that one out if you haven't yet. So, as always, thanks again for coming along. To all of you across the globe, cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well.